G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. An unusual focus today as we look into the Christian history of Australia's outback. And we might be surprised and even inspired by the visionaries who shaped Australia with their faith. Our special guest has just released his new book. It's called Tell Me Another. A Storyteller's Search for Australia's Lost Faith. There are amazing stories of explorers, of poets, bushrangers, cameleers, riverboat captains and ordinary Aussies that shaped Australia. Well, our special guest today is Dr Paul Rowe, a historian and tour guide from the New South Wales Outback. With 50 years' experience in engaging audiences eye-to-eye, mind-to-mind and heart-to-heart with Australia's powerful stories of faith, he has a doctorate, yes, in history that focuses on telling our Australian Christian story. You'll be able to join in our conversation shortly, but a special welcome back to 2020 to Dr Paul Rowe. Good day, Neil. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Paul. Hey, uh, let me just say, you are uh, out of town. Uh, your hometown is Dubbo. Uh, you thought, I've got to get some good reception here for talking to listeners on 2020 today. Where have you had to go to get to, to make sure you've got a good reception for your phone? <laughs> well, I, I decided I would drive to the highest point over Dubbo. It's actually called Burke Hill, would you believe? And uh, it's on the highway that uh, heads out of here, the Mitchell Highway, which goes west to Broken Hill and northwest to Burke. So you can't get more out there than that. <laughs> Absolutely right. And if you do happen to drop out, uh, we'll be reconnecting as quickly as we can. And I know listeners in the Outback will know that sometimes there are issues around phone reception. Hey, Paul, let's just start with your journey into Outback history. Uh, you've been doing this a long time now. I have. I, I didn't uh, grow up in the bush. I, I grew up in Sydney and I did a degree in at University of New South Wales in Sydney in history. Um, and it wasn't until 1978 that I came out here to Burke. Um, and I must confess, uh, as we began to think about setting up Cornerstone Community out there with a friend, uh, my initial reaction was, can any good thing come out of Burke? And uh, <laughs> I, I must confess that in 40 years I've been shown to be wrong that God has done great things. He has done great things, and uh, Burke is a significant centre, isn't it? Uh, there's a wonderful Christian community in Burke, and uh, you've had real connection with them as well. Well, it's had a long, long history uh, right from its outset. There's been Christians present and doing all sorts of quite extraordinary things, as I discovered. And I think that was the thing that sort of caught my attention, Neil, was that in a tiny town like Burke, 3,000 people or so, uh, and about two million kangaroos and emus made up the Shire, which is about the same size as Denmark. Um, but in that region there, some astonishing and very innovative Christian things took place. And that certainly me thinking, well, if they can happen here, they can ha- must be happening right across the country. Why aren't we being told these stories? 
Now, let's go to what inspired you to really take up the challenge of recording and collating Australia's outback Christian history. And in some sense here, it takes you back to Australia's connection to the biblical narrative because you've seen and you were inspired when you were studying Australia and our part in the establishing of the modern state of Israel, which is a fulfilment of biblical prophecy. So Aussies are directly connected here. Take us back to your initial thoughts there, Paul. Well, Neil, it, uh, I was just an undergraduate and I was working on a thesis on Australia's part in establishing Israel in 1948. And uh, it's, it's sort of a forgotten chapter, but it's quite astonishing to realise that uh, Dr. H. V. Everett, who was the foreign minister, was actually a very, very key player in the setting up of the United Nations in the early, uh, late part of the 1940s. And there was great optimism that somehow we would cure the world of war if we could just set up the United Nations. And their first test case really was what to do with Palestine, which is in uproar, had been that way since the First World War, and the Brits were trying to sort of manage it, but it was out of hand, and they wanted to hand it over to the United Nations, which they did. But uh, in the process, Dr. Evert was a key player. He was the chairman of the Committee on Palestine, and he actually had the casting vote. When it came to the crunch, he almost single-handedly persuaded a lot of nations who were wavering to vote positively for the establishment of the modern uh, state of Israel and the Jewish community re- recognised that they, they actually planted a forest for him on the on the slopes of Mount Carmel and uh, they put his name up in the in the, in the museum in Jerusalem and in Tel Aviv so he, he was well recognised as, as a key player in establishing Israel in a very, very tentative time so it was, it was very interesting to, to, to research that and to talk to Jewish people in Sydney who'd been with him at the United Nations in New York at the time. So, yeah, it was it was very young, you know, undergraduate. It was, it was always fun, but it was learning detective work, if you like. And a lot of listeners to this program will be familiar that in uh, many instances over the years, uh, we've talked about the charge of the light horse and Australia's yeah. military connection there and Australia playing mm. a part in the regeneration of Israel as a nation, right from that inception uh, that led up to the 1948 uh, you know, uh, instigation of the, the new nation of Israel. But you've since that time when you were doing that study and uh, writing that thesis, uh, you've got now a sort of a 40-year connection to Burke. So you went yeah. back to Burke and you discovered that there were stories in Burke that were all filled with the faith of Christians in our history. Yep, uh, very much so. In, uh, Neil, I mean, the, the intriguing thing, I, I did actually meet one of those white horsemen who was at the Shuba. When I, was, I arrived in Burke, I was interviewing this man and he, he gave me about eight hours of stories. But he, he witnessed the, uh, the charge of Beersheba. He was involved in all the battles around that time. So it was quite a thing to sort of sit with this man and listen to him tell the story that I'd only heard and read about, but he was there, an eyewitness account. And uh, it sort of made me realise that our our history wasn't that far away and that these vivid things that had happened, uh, I could sit there and listen to this firsthand. And I felt like I was receiving a kind of a sacred trust from these people. I did about 100 interviews for the local radio station. It was a, a public access station. 
And so I found myself sitting down with these old timers uh, and listening to their stories, which took me back, well, for some of them, back past 1900 into the <clears throat> the, the 19th century. And uh, I felt like I, I had this very sacred trust to tell their story well and to put it into context. And I, I, step by step, I, in a fairly remote community and a little bit wary of strangers coming to town, it was a way of winning respect, I suppose. I, I became the storyteller to Burke because I was telling these stories on radio for a couple of years. And so that was my, I call it my apprenticeship, Neil, in, um, in, in history. Like I'd done theoretical history at uh, university and I'd, I'd started this detective book. But here I was plunged into this community in an isolated area and sort of handling their stories. And so it was a real privilege. And amongst them, I found people of faith, and that—that's what sort of generated my passion for storytelling. I suppose more than just history. And small town history. Now, there's lots more uh, country outback towns than just Burke uh, or just Dubbo, where we're speaking to you from today. But uh, there are mm. listeners in small towns all around Australia. And what you discovered, because you're a member of uh, the local council and the tourism development officer, and uh, yep. you began to see that Burke's stories were an untapped asset for listeners all around Australia they might be familiar with some of the stories that founded their town and they're going to have that Christian foundation to them Uh, tell us uh, your thoughts here on the untapped asset of the stories of your country town yeah that's a good question Neil I think uh, uh, the I mean if I trace them back and and I must admit I wasn't the first there was a group of historians have been working hard on this a long time before I got there, and what I noticed was that there were 12 volumes of Burke history that had been done, but very few people were going to sit down and read 12 volumes of Burke history. Um, and the, the key was to get it accessible, like we were doing on the radio. And uh, I thought, as I researched these stories, I found more and more men and women who made a difference, not only to Burke, uh, men and women of faith, but it actually set up things that spread nationwide. Um, I'm not from far from where I'm sitting now. There's uh, the Royal Flying Doctor Service uh, visitor experience here in Dubbo, which is a fantastic facility. And it tells the story of John Flynn and his vision for the outback. Now, um, if you go there, you won't find much spoken about, and I'm not being critical here, but it's, it's true of most of the RFTS sort of facilities I've visited from here to Darwin, um, they don't really tell the story of why he did it. And that's what grieves me, I suppose, about so much of our Australian Christian story, that we've sort of dumbed down these people, made them into nice humanists, and uh, sort of said, well, you know, they were good blokes and they did a good thing, which they were. But but we were reluctant to say, for example, with John Flynn, uh, I've, I've taken a group of schoolboys from the coast uh, here in New South Wales, from Dubbo to Darwin. We had a very brave uh, uh, headmaster who was willing to take his kids all you know, nine boys. I got on a bus, would you believe, with you nine boys for two weeks, which I thought was extremely brave, and, uh, and ventured all the way, <laughs> all the way to Darwin, camping out and all that sort of thing. But it was a great adventure, and. Uh, these boys who live somewhere between where I've had and McDonald's, 
had never really had their minds open or eyes open like that trip did for them. And uh, my job was to tell them the stories along the way of particularly the, the Flying Doctor Service and John Flynn. So when we got to Alice Springs and we stood in front of John Flynn's grave, a great big boulder there and the Blue Rangers, of McDonald Rangers there and Albert Namajira sort of thing, um, I said to those boys, you know, John Flynn was 16 when God put a, a call on his heart to do something for Australia. He was only a young lad. He had no resources, about the same age as you. And uh, I challenged those boys. I said, you know, we, you can pick up a bit of courtesy off the ground and put it on John Flynn's grave just to recognise you've been here. And he was a great Australian. But the question I want to ask you, and I want you to answer before God, is what, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to make of your life and it was interesting watching those boys who you know it was a whole new experience for them uh, square their shoulders and say yeah, yeah I'd really like that to use my life for something and for me Neil that was a way of making our Australian stories count and I found that was just one story um, in Burke also in the nearby town of Cobar um, the, the Reverend Stanley Drummond back in the 1920s with his wife Lucy. They were driving out towards Tipperbury in the uh, far corner of New South Wales. In all the stations there, they found lots of young kids sitting there uh, who'd had no medical care, no dental care, uh, no holidays, and very, very remote, very sort of isolated children. And so he be- he began to had a passion to help these kids. So he and his wife would pick these kids up. They'd drive hundreds of miles way into the outback, pick these kids up, bring them into to Burke or Cobar, put them on the train and take them to Sydney. And he'd walk into the Macquarie Street specialists and he'd say, look, I've got no money. These kids have got no money. What are you going to do about it? And so he recruited all these top doctors to care for these children. And so began the, the Royal Far West Children Scheme. Now, one of the interviews I did was with a man uh, who's... Uh, a, a mail truck driver who drove from Burke to Hungerford up on the border about 240k. And he told me, he said, you know, I picked up a couple of kids this is back in the 1930s. I picked up a couple of kids and I tied them in the front of the truck because it didn't have a door. And uh, we drove through the night. You know, he'd leave at seven o'clock at night and he'd get to Burke about four in the morning. I get there and there'd be Mr. and Mrs. Drummond standing on the station waiting for those kids. He said, "Geez, are wonderful people." And another old bloke told me, you know. Mate, they, they were like Jesus Christ out here, and they were, you know, and um, it was a, a young, you know, a minister and his wife who had a passion to help kids, not just get medical help, but also to learn about Jesus. And, you know, when I came across stories like that, Neil, I began to realise, wow, you know, we've got a huge asset here, and we, we need to set this to work, not just in Burke, but across our country, because these men and women stood tall, and they can inspire. And that's what drives me, I suppose. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Dr. Paul Rowe is our guest. He is a historian. He's a tour guide from Outback, New South Wales. His new book is called Tell Me Another, A Storyteller's Search for Australia's Lost Faith. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. In fact, Paul, before we take things a little bit further, why don't we take a call from a listener? Diane is in Tamworth in New South Wales. Hi, Diane. Welcome. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good, Diane. What are your thoughts? 
Right. Well, it's it's really good to hear about the stories that Paul's writing because several years ago the Lord gave me um, an idea to write a book called The Longest Yarn. And I'm an undergraduate, would you believe, at uni, (laughs) and I'm studying linguistics, and I would like to do a similar thing, but with Aboriginal stories in Australia. So um, I thought, praise God, this is so good. It's so good to hear. (laughs) What a good connection, and I'm not sure if you already know each other, but uh, your thoughts here, Paul. Uh, uh, Let me introduce you to Diane, who's right on your wavelength. Good on you, Diane. I've got to confess I did my doctorate late in life too. It was like giving birth to an elephant. It took a while, but I got there. <laughs> so nice to hear you on track. Uh, Diane, The Longest Yarn, did you say that your yes. book is in the making or is it already out? Well, no, I'm, I've got another year to go of undergraduate. I'm doing it with linguistics and it's given me an understanding of the form, you know, formative uh, platform of language but I love language and I love stories and so I'm hoping to do an honours year when I'm finished and then do my doctorate on The Longest Yarn. That'll be my book and I hate to travel getting those stories together. So I've got a little way to go yet but you have a little way to go, it. Diane, but what a wonderful pathway you are on. You're on a journey, yes. and uh, as yes. I say, you're on the same <laughs> wavelength as our special guest today. Yes. And, uh, yes. Paul, just let me just introduce Diane, because you like to tell the story of Bill Ferguson and connecting with yes. Australia's Indigenous history, and you call Bill yes. Ferguson the Martin Luther King of Australia. Give us your quick oh, uh, inspiration here. Well, quick. Uh, Quickly, um, I, when I went to Burke, I was profoundly ignorant about really what had happened to the Indigenous people, and so that was a big part of my education. I met a bloke there who was probably the most bitterly anti-white person I ever met, and uh, he was a young guy who was very, very angry, and for good reason. I, I didn't know the, the whole Aboriginal story, really. I was, I was like a lot of Australians back in the 1970s. So... Well, we met, we collided, and he told me, he told me we were wasting our time coming to Berkeley to preach the gospel or anything. But anyway, I met him years later here in Dubbo, and got it done. He'd been on the radical trail for quite a while, but we found that we had something in common. I met him at the Baptist Church, and he'd had quite a, a, a turnabout, but uh, we had in common the story of a man called Bill Ferguson. And Bill Ferguson's son, John, had spoke to me in Burke and given me his father's biography, which is uh, Bill Ferguson, Australian uh, fighter for Australian freedom, I think it was something like that, and I understood that John was asking me, can you do something with my dad's story? And I was very challenged when I did it, and when I met Frank, I found that he'd been challenged here by John Ferguson to, to do something similar. So together we worked in the last few years to recover the story of Bill Ferguson. He was based here in Dubbo, he came from down at Darlington Point uh, on the Murrumbidgee, his dad was Scott, a Scotsman and a preacher and a shearer, and his mum was Wiradjuri. And uh, he, by the time he got to Dubbo, he had 10 kids, and he was an elder in the Presbyterian Church, but he was also a shearer's rep and uh, a, a pretty comp- accomplished speaker. And he, he started the first uh, Aboriginal sort of association here in, Ber- in Dubbo, I mean, uh, the Aboriginal Protection Association, uh, the Progressive Association, I beg your pardon. And in 1938, he led the first day of mourning along with Bill Cooper from Victoria. 
And they were the two major leaders in that move, the very first move to call for civil rights in Australia on behalf of the Aboriginal people, and they were both Christian men. And so right now, between us, Frank and I managed to get his statue put up right in the middle of town in the main street, and I felt like that's the sort of thing, Diana, I want to do. I want to see people look for their local stories and get it back in the public space where people will understand the story. So he's there and he's got the story explained and every day you'll see people stop there and read the Bill Ferguson story. So it's right in the heart of Dava and that's the sort of thing I want to see happen. Wonderful stuff. Uh, and uh, Diane, I'm hoping that's an inspiration for you because when you start to collate these stories and tell these stories and put them in book form and get them online, uh, you can in fact influence uh, the history of your uh, outback focus, and uh, that's something you're yep. aspiring to, Diane. Yeah. Uh, yep. Diane, thank you so much for your call. I appreciate you calling in. It's nearly news time, and we're going to continue our conversation after Vision National News. We'll talk about some other things, but just very, very quickly, like a 30-second uh, update here, because you've got a vision to have a centre for telling these Christian history stories of the outback in Canberra, Paul. Precisely, yes. I think we've neglected, we Christians have neglected our story badly uh, and we're, we've been irresponsible. Jesus said, put your light right up on a hill on a lampstand where people said and glorify the Father in heaven, see your good works. And so I think we're sitting on a huge resource that we've never really brought to attention and this era, at this time, it's critical that we do. Are writing the stories that you do because you don't want to just tell the stories for the sake of telling the stories, but you want to inspire a new generation of storytellers. Give us something of your heartbeat here for what you want others to be inspired by in your new book. Well, there's two things, Neil, that uh, strike me. We talked about the Indigenous people. One of the things I learned from the Indigenous people was about the song lines that they used to sing as they walked their country and it connected their story, their history, their cosmology, their understanding of the heavens, the land, everything was connected into that one story. And as they walked, they sang their story. And they had a little saying that I learned was, if you don't know your song line, you don't exist. If you don't know where you come from, how do you know where you're going? And I thought that was a very profound understanding and it, it dovetailed with what I'd been taught as a kid from the Bible, that that ancient culture of the Hebrews, right back to Abraham and beyond, uh, were taught, you've got to keep telling your story. Moses said it, look, you've got to tell your kids the stories. If you stop telling the stories, you perish. And that's exactly what happened. If you read the Bible, you'll see the times they stopped telling their story to their kids. Uh, they stopped treasuring and, 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 and loving and shaping their story and understanding their story. That's where they lost the plot. And I think... We Christians in Australia are in exactly the same position. We've stopped singing our song line. Uh, if you did a test in most churches to the, tomorrow, you know, I think you would find most people have got no real idea about the story of what Jesus has given to this country. And it's extensive, it's profound, and it's essential. It's not just a religious story, but it has to do with almost everything we do in Australia has Jesus' fingerprints and footprints all around it. And that's what that's what... I'm saying to ordinary Australians, we need, there's a job to do. Now, there are excellent historians like 
Dr. Stuart Piggins written two extraordinary volumes on Australia's evangelical history recently. You know, Roy Williams has written a book on Australia's history. Greg Sheridan's been stirring the pot with urging us Christians in Australia to really get a hold of what their heritage is. Meredith Lake's written a great book on the Bible in Australia. We've got top-line academics who've taken up the cudgels, if you like, and taken the fight back to the historians who are trying to edit it out of our history. And that's great, but, and I've said this to Stuart Piggin, who's a friend of mine, I said, Stuart, look, it's great what you're doing, but very few people are going to sit down and read 1,600 pages of Australia's Christian history. What we need are just ordinary folk who are going to get a hold of some of those stories and take them where they are and tell those stories. It could be that you're a teacher or an RE teacher or a chaplain or a Sunday school teacher or a tourist guide or whatever. There's lots you can do just to take those stories and bring them to public attention. So I learned that when I went into the tourist industry in Burke that People walk in the door of the tourist centre and say, tell me a story. Well, how good's that? <laughs> a golden opportunity. And we've got the opportunity to be the interpreters of the story because it's one thing to serve, you know, John Flynn started the Flying Doctor service, but who knows the real heart story? And that's what drives me, Neil. Wow. And more stories. Uh, you're being able to tell those stories. Uh, what I can hear Uh, Your call here is, and let me just put this out for listeners, you need an army of inspired storytellers. And we're not just talking about older Australians, because I suspect older Australians are probably the ones most interested in hearing these Christian history stories uh, for the outback. But it's young people typically who are savvy with social media. So uh, those clips yep. that can be produced and can go viral around the world, uh, those are the yep. sorts of things. You need You need an army of storyteller filmmakers and uh, people can yep. do, there's a whole film production uh, facility on your mobile device these days. So for people who are exactly. thinking, yep. I, I need to do something special with my life, this might be something that you're called to do. Hey, come back to, though, uh, the... Aboriginal Australians, uh, so you've got Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians, and uh, I know that you make reference to memorials to Aboriginal people, and the memorials that you see to Aboriginal people around Australia, they're all Christians. Give us your insights here. Well, it's quite remarkable. Uh, If you pick up your $50 note, there's David Unipon there, who's uh, who's an inventor, and he got his face on the $50 note. And he he had a little slogan, if you want to know whether the Bible works, look at me. Um, uh, Bill Ferguson statue here in Dubbo. Um, William Cooper's statue is up in Shepparton. And also he's memorialised in the Holocaust Museum in Israel because in 1938, he took a, a petition to the German embassy in Melbourne to protest about what was happening to the Jewish people. And they recognised him in recent years as one of their heroes, to say one of the few leaders in the world who stood up for the Jewish people at the time. Um, and then uh, down in front of um, Parliament House in Melbourne um, is the statue of, a beautiful statue of um, Doug Nichols and his wife, Gladys, and I told that story. They're all up on my website. But uh, he always called himself Pastor Sir Douglas Nichols. He was the first governor, Aboriginal governor of state, and he was the governor in South Australia. 
but he was adamant that he was first of all a pastor and uh, he and his wife did extraordinary work in Melbourne you know so uh, let's pause right let's pause and reflect on this for a few moments because uh, for AFL fans last mm. week as I understand it was the Doug Nichols round and as you're exactly. telling as you're telling us yeah. today it wasn't just Doug Nichols it was Pastor Sir Doug Nichols. Uh, give us some yep. insights into into the amazing impact he made. Well, there's, uh, <laughs> there's a whole lot of backstory there. But William Cooper and Doug Nichols were raised on the Cumaragudja Mission on the Murray River, begun by the Matthews family, a Christian family uh, on the Murray in the mid to late 19th century and they had a teacher there and I've told this story on my website a guy called Thomas Shadrach James an Indian, uh, Mauritian Indian and he taught those young men uh, how to stand up for their rights and how to articulate themselves and he was one of the most extraordinary teachers in Australia he, he trained these men and three or four of them who took a stand and led the civil rights movement for the Aboriginal people in the 1930s now, he's a forgotten figure as well, and Doug Nichols was one of those, and he, when he went to Melbourne, he was a good footballer, he was, uh, played for Fitzroy, and he was very accomplished, he was a good runner and boxer, but he and his wife, uh, they set up in Fitzroy, and they began caring for Aboriginal people who were lost and bereft there, so they had hostels, his wife was a very accomplished businesswoman, and uh, her dad was an Indian uh, trader, and so she... Um, she began opportunity shops and all sorts of things like that and they were much loved in that part of the world and did a great deal not only just for Aboriginal people but for anybody in need and so that's why he was recognised with an MBE and then an OBE and then a knighthood um, but he, he put those things aside if you look at his grave, I put this on my website on his, on his grave or their shared grave, they've got uh, from Philippians, where it says, you know, we, we're aiming to, for the mark of the high calling of God, that's been our ambition to, to, to achieve as Christian people in our country and to make a mark. Well, it's a great story. And the one statue I really love, it's only been opened in, in the last couple of years, would you believe, beside the Sea of Galilee in Israel, uh, there was a, a statue of a, a light horseman, a guy called Jack Pollard, uh, kneeling beside his horse, burying a mate. And it's a, a memorial to Aboriginal light horse when he fought in the First World War. And uh, he's kneeling beside this horse and uh, over the grave, and in his left hand he's got a New Testament because he was a Christian. And I think it's an amazing, <laughs> amazing statue to have in Galilee, uh, uh, an Aboriginal man who was a man of faith who was walking in the steps of Jesus, you know. So... I say that to people, look, you know, it's amazing that these men and women were all Christians, you know, and that needs to be told. These are amazing stories, and for some listeners hearing this for the first time, and we could fill the whole program talking about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander impacts on the outback, Uh, Just let's just broaden that for a moment, because uh, there's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history in the outback, but also... There must be a very rich migrant history. Those who've come to Australia, oftentimes from European descent, uh, and bringing their faith uh, into yeah. outback communities too. Uh, have you got a reflection on on migrant history as well? Well, it's not strictly uh, outback, but 
One of my favourite stories is a story of a Chinese who came to uh, the goldfields down in uh, Braidwood near Canberra in the early days in the mid-1800s, and his name was Kwong Tart. And uh, he was helped by a Scottish family, and so he actually he actually used to wear a kilt sometimes and play the bagpipes. He's the only Chinese I know who did that, and uh, he was quite a character. He became a successful businessman, but he also he took uh, he had a vision. He said of um, he, him being sort of God putting his hand on his life for a purpose, and so he set himself to make a difference in this country. And, he moved to Sydney, became a very successful businessman running tea shops, and he became a quasi-ambassador with China, and uh, he was trusted with all sorts of missions. But he, he he led the fight against opium, amongst because opium was, of course, a, a scourge for the Chinese people, introduced, I might say, by the British, trying to crack the Chinese market open. And uh, so he reminded the New South Wales government of that, saying, listen, you, you, you criticise the... Chinese people for their opium addiction but just remember it was the British Empire that did that to them and so he was a Christian man, he, he had an Anglican background but he made sure his children were baptised in different churches just to prove that he was ecumenical um, and uh, he began churches, he would gather people off the streets the poor people um, and give them a, a nice a beautiful meal in his uh, top line tea shops, he used to entertain governors and all sorts of people Quite a remarkable story, and uh, one that's forgotten. He's a Chinese immigrant, you know, who was at the time when he died. Uh, we were writing the White Australia policy into our constitution, so they're saying, and particularly aimed at the Chinese people. And yet, here's a Christian man taking a lead to try and deal with real issues on the street and using his skills as an entrepreneur to you know, benefit Australia. I think it's a great story. It is a great story. And uh, so the Chinese involvement, (coughs) you know, I'm just reminded uh, that as I think of my uh, more limited understanding of history uh, compared to someone like you, Paul, but uh, thinking back to the Christians who stood up against those things that were unjust and things that threatened to destroy our society. When you talk about a Chinese Christian who's standing up against the opium trade in Australia, I'm just reminded of the uh, rum rebellion that was going on in the very early colonial period of Australia and uh, the likes of uh, Samuel Marsden, uh, who had a reputation for being a pretty tough dude. Uh, He was able to stand up against that and bring things back into line because the colony almost collapsed. So you've got these Christian figures, not always remembered kindly in our history, but they were people with steel in their backbone. Well, indeed, and uh, I think uh, John Harris has just written a book about the Macquarie's, about Governor Macquarie, yes. uh, explained the part that he played uh, as a Christian man, and particularly his wife, Elizabeth, and uh, the impact they had on the colony in all sorts of ways in the early days. And, uh, you know, the amelioration of, uh, of suffering was one of the things they worked hard at. And I think another chapter that's forgotten too, and I, I, I like to remind people of it, if you're watching the State of Origin last night, you would have seen that at least half the players were from the Pacific Islands. And what's been remarkable in recent years is to watch those Pacific Islanders bring the Christian faith right into the, the middle of the rugby league world and unashamedly get down and pray on the, the football field or sing hymns or whatever. Uh, and it's a reminder that uh, the gospel came from Australia primarily to those islands in the early days. And that was part of the vision of William Wilberforce and the Clapham sect in England. 
um, the very outset of the colony, the, their goal with Richard Johnson, the first preacher, was that he would be the down payment on starting uh, the spread of the gospel to the South Pacific. And by the middle of the 19th century, Charles Darwin, of all people, when he was travelling across the Pacific on the Beagle, he wrote in his story, the efforts of the Christian missionaries in the Pacific is one of the greatest epics in human history. And so many of those men and women went from Australia uh, and laid their lives down out there. And I've talked to a lot of Pacific Islanders and they are grateful for what (laughs) the, the Christian missionaries have given to them. And I've got a mate right here in Dubbo. I was at his place last night. He runs a thing called Tradies Insight, which is his Tongan. And uh, he's got a passion to help tradies who are involved, you know, whose lives are falling apart, a lot of them suiciding. So he started an extraordinary thing here in town and spreading to other towns. And here's a Tongan man bringing the Christian faith back into Australia in a very practical form. And I love that story. You know, he's reminding us of where it all began. This is so fascinating to talk about and to reflect on the state of origin. And so many will have been up late watching what I thought was the most amazing game last night in Queensland, the victors in the state of origin match. But when those Pacific Islanders do link together and pray on the field, what we're seeing is a reflection of Australia's Christian history that went to the islands and now has come back. And it's making a big statement to the rugby league fan base around the nation. Exactly. We should be ashamed in some ways. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. Do you know, Paul, uh, in some sense here, grieves the heart that some of this history is being lost. And we're running out of time now, but let's perhaps spend these last few minutes because you have a big vision to have yep. a centre that will be based in the nation's capital, in Canberra. So when yep. you turn up to Canberra yep. and you want to see Parliament House and the Mint and you want to go to the High Court and you want to see the art galleries, yep. Yep. you need to be able to go and see where Australia's Christian history is. This is a big vision, a big project. How far along are we? Because I know this book you've written now is about inspiring the heart and uh, drawing together people who could be a part of a team that can make this happen. How do you hope this is going to happen? In 2006 in Canberra in the the Great Hall of Parliament House, there was a Christian conference that went for a couple of days and they had top-line people speaking there, uh, brilliant people, you know, with all sorts of experience, academics and so on, who presented papers for two days solid that, inspired me anyway to say wow there's such a great story to tell here these are, are inspiring stories but after two days the question was okay we can have a talk fest but how are we going to make these stories accessible to people uh in in the street and uh so that's been my drive i did that in burke with the, the 16 volumes of burke history they had up there in photo albums we put it into a eight million dollar exhibition center which is now telling the stories tourists and it's become a major asset to the town and had a regenerative effect on the town with all its problems and I felt I I said to a friend who was a a leader in the museum world a Christian bloke, uh, Brad Baker I said that we should be able to do this for our country, if this is true in Burke, it must be true everywhere, why haven't we gathered our stories together in one space and the remarkable thing I discovered Neil was uh, in Burke there's an Afghan history, there were Camelias there and uh, I rescued a little tin shed that was a mosque and we put it in the graveyard. I knew what it was. A few years later, I found that the, the Muslim 
community have, have already organised themselves a museum in Melbourne. It's funded by the state and federal government and it's been telling the Muslim story of Australia in Melbourne to tens of thousands of school kids. And it, it, it really challenged me. I thought, well, the Muslim people have got themselves together to tell their story. I know that, uh, and this is not boasting, but it's just saying, look, the Christians have given far more to Australia, really, in, in so many ways. Why aren't we telling our story? It's our own fault. You know, we should be ashamed of ourselves. They're, they're ahead of us. And uh, that little mosque I saw on, on their website, they had a, a picture of some Muslim boys who were travelling around Australia in a four-wheel drive looking for stories. And there they were down praying in front of the mosque in Burke that I'd rescued. And I felt ashamed. I thought, wow, you know, these guys are out looking for the stories. Where are the Christian young people? Uh, why aren't we mobilising people to go and find our stories and put them to work? like they are, you know, where do you go and hear the Christian story? So in Canberra, in the original plan of Canberra, it was meant to have a cathedral that's never been built. Um, right on Lake Billy Griffin, we're meant to have all the, 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 the key things that make up the nation, art, music, you know, science and so on, along Lake Burley Griffin. There's a gap, there's a missing piece where we haven't told the Christian story. And I think... It's time we stood up and said, hey, come on, let's get ourselves together and gather these stories and articulate them in Canberra so that if 100,000 kids go to the War Memorial, well, why don't 100,000 kids come to hear this story, which is a much deeper, longer, higher, wider story than just the story of war and the suffering that came through the Anzac story, as great as it is, it's a very narrow story. We've got a broad wide, deep story that really belongs to us all. It belongs to all Australians, you know, and new Australians, as you said, need to hear it. It is a big story. It is the best story. And for listeners today, I mean, I think there won't be a single person listening in to our conversation who won't be inspired by this. Uh, there are going to be those who've got some capacity to help, and it might be people who can write submissions. As you say, there's a need for yeah. state and federal funding, and I'm not sure where you've gone with that, but there might be listeners who are expert submission writers thinking they can use their gift to help out with something that would be substantial for the future of our Australian society. Here's an opportunity yep. to connect. And your book, Paul, is also that opportunity to connect because it's about inspiring a new generation of storytellers. Uh, so for mm -hmm. that army of people who can do something to get the stories out, uh, those young people who are really savvy when it comes to social media, here's an opportunity yep. to really get involved in something substantial. The book is called Tell Me Another, A Storyteller's Search for Australia's Lost Faith. And here's how you can connect directly with Paul Rowe, the outbackhistorian.com.au. That's the website, and no doubt you'll get a message to Paul through the website, the outbackhistorian.com.au. My encouragement is for listeners who are inspired by this, and I don't know how you can not be inspired by talking about this sort of history that focuses on telling our Australian Christian story uh, just connect with Dr. Paul Rowe, theoutbackhistorian.com.au. Uh, Paul, wonderful getting these insights. Let's do this again sometime very soon, and we'll tackle some more of those wonderful stories of yours. But thanks so much for sharing your heart with us today on 2020. Well, absolutely, Neil, and I hope people are feeling it. I can do this, you know, not just for the experts. It's uh, it's for anybody who's got a heart to tell stories, and we're all storytellers. 
you know, to get a hold of our and love our Australian Christian story. And, and, and I, I should say here, look, there's ugly stories to tell too, and we should be brave enough to tell the ugly stories and the failures, just like the Bible does, uh, as well as the successes, because that, that's honest. That's that's authentic history. Love it. Honest, authentic history. Not afraid of the good, the bad, or the ugly. And these are the stories that All need to be told. <laughs> uh, wonderful stuff. Dr. Paul Rowe and that website, theoutbackhistorian.com.au. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.